Welcome back to an episode of Backlash Podcast. This week, our guest is Pete Rich. Pete Rich Guide Service out of the Hayward area. And it's summertime, so we're going to probably talk about summer muskies. We'll talk about blades, moon, rubber baits, typical stuff that you would expect us to talk about this time of year. And seeing as though we're on episode, you know, whatever, 200-odd number, I don't know, whatever it is. I mean, if you've been down our road before, you kind of know the, the program. This is what we do. It's, we try to talk seasonal topics to uh, help you catch more muskies. My co-host this week is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And I know that, um, Brad, you've probably spent a little bit of time in the water, haven't you? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, we're planning on hitting back out tomorrow. And I'm trying to think. I, I got a few days in last week, and but both Chase and I have been spending a ton of time in the shop as of late. So excited to get back out in the water. It's been four days for me. He was out uh, last night, so we kind of got some intel. And we're going to get back out on the water tomorrow. Sounds like a fun time. I did want to let people know if you are interested in another musky podcast, for some odd reason, they asked me to be on it, the Muskies on Tap podcast. It's uh, Gus Manti and his brother, and they had one other co-host on last night. I recorded it, and it should come out uh, the day after you hear this one. I guess it's going to come out on Thursday of this week. So it would be, I don't know, whatever that is, the 3rd of August, roughly, something like that. So, Muskies on Tap podcast, if you want to learn more about Team Rhino Outdoors, you want to listen to me talk about my glory days 20 years ago when I used to muskie fish a lot, you can uh, check out that podcast. It was, um, like I said, I'm not sure why they asked me. I I personally think they could have found more suitable guests. Like, I mean, even they could have just talked to Brad. He's going to bring a lot more to the table than I am. But you can listen to me ramble on that podcast if you want to as well. And Brad, I, I know we talked about it with the conversation with Pete, but it sounds like you and Chase were on a podcast recently too. So if they want to hear more from you and Chase, which podcast are they going to find you on? Uh, it's the Muffy Road Rules podcast. Uh, we recorded earlier this morning. I don't know what day it's coming out, but I would assume within the first week of August. So check it out. We talked a little bit uh, about some of the patterns that we've been doing and also about the TV show, Ma'am 10,000 Cast, how you can watch that and uh, the different uh, recordings that we've already done this year for this next coming season. And if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We are your source for everything musky related. We have lots and lots of stuff. And if you're looking for custom colors or stock colors or whatever, in all the top name brands in the musky industry, you can do that now if you want. I just re I just added the abilities to order Chaos Tackle Moab rods on our website over the past weekend along with uh, added some hog, hog wobblers. We might have a couple donkey tails left by the time you get this. And it seems like every week I get a new order from Musky Mayhem Tackle. So that's loaded up too. And speaking of Musky Mayhem Tackle, if you want big bladed flash of boo baits, you're going to go and listen to what Brad has to say right now. <laughs> well, it's real simple and easy. MuskyMayhemTackle.com, and you can pretty much build any kind of bait you want right there on our website. You can pick out your flash boot colors for your skirting, your marabou colors, and pick out your blades and build your bait right on there. We'll custom tie it, put it together, and get it off in the mail for you. But like Jeff said as well, Team Rhino Outdoors has a ton of different customs. If you aren't creative and you can't figure them out for yourself, Jeff has done that himself. So check us out. 
I mean, I appreciate you giving me credit for that, Brad, but we're going to have to throw that one over to Carrie. She does most of the heart, the heavy lifting there. I kind of give her some direction, and then she really goes to town because there's so many varieties of flash available these days. It's unbelievable. So color combinations are virtually endless. So, yes, you can do that, but it wasn't Jeff. It was Carrie, so blame her. <laughs> well, it's a good good uh, team effort there, that's for sure. Right, absolutely. And I guess that I don't have anything else, Brad, so we might as well just, you know, get in with our conversation with Pete Rich. Let's shift gears and get it done. All right. Our guest this week on this podcast is going to be none other than Pete Rich. And I actually looked it up. We had Pete on episodes 127, 74, and 5. So if you like the information that Pete brings to this episode, go look him up on any of those other episodes. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the 127 and I'm going... Holy cow, Pete, it's been like two years since we had you on this podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I mean, I'm doing great, you know. It's just another day around here putting stuff in boxes. I'm sure, Brad, kind of like, uh, I'm guessing you're just putting uh, bucktails together. That's kind of what we do this time of year, right? That's the time of the year that we're in right now, that's for sure. But I at least get out fishing a little bit, Jeff. Um, I don't know about you. No, not that much. I don't get out fishing that much. I think about my glory days. I, uh, you know, think back to the time when I didn't have kids and lots of commitments and how much time I got to spend on the water. So much fun. I can just, I can relive that. So that's fun, Brad. <laughs> well, at least you got those memories, I guess. <laughs> what can I say? I mean, I hope that eventually someday I make some new memories. But at the at this point, I am happy. Business is, is very good. So I'm excited about that. Um Typically, though, well, you know, like this time of year is tough, but, you know, things are easing up. Brad, I told you last week, you know, baseball season's over, so that helps free up some time. And so hopefully you know, th- things shake loose and turn around, you know. But, you know, let's talk about it a little bit with you two guys. I mean, we're uh, early August now. I mean, tomorrow's August when we're recording this. It's Monday night, 31st of July. And like God, how, tomorrow's August. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy, isn't it? It is. But, like, how... You know, how's the season been going for, for you, Pete? Brad, how's the season been going for you guys? I mean, if you were going to rate it, you know, A, B, C, D type of a situation as far as consistency and, and quality or something like that, what are we what are we looking at so far through mid-season? For me, um, I would say about, I would say a C. Like, it hasn't been terrible. It hasn't been great. There's been some some good stretches, you know, and it's kind of been as up and down as our weather has been as so has been the, the fishing season, you know, we had a really dry and hot July for the, at the beginner end of June, beginning of July. And things were, we had 80 temp, water temps in the eighties, like low eighties consistently. And we just weren't fishing and we had a huge cool down. And, you know, when those kind of things happen, it's nice because it kind of saves the season. But when you go from 81 degree water to 72 degree water in a couple of weeks, like, those fish are just scattered because it's probably 72, 10 feet down. So it's, it, it's been a, I don't want to say it's been a grind, but it's been, it's been as inconsistent as the weather with some really good bright spots. We've put a couple of really, really nice fish in the boat so far this year. I've had some great clients in the boat having a blast and, you know, busting our butt to see what we can do to put fish in the boat. All right. Well, before we get too far, Pete, if people are looking to get in the boat with you, I would imagine you have probably a couple openings at least. And if, and if so, yep. how do they get in touch with you? Uh, best place to go is my website or Facebook, Pete Rich Guide.com is my website, Pete Rich Guide or Pete Rich on Facebook is 
the other way, pretty easy to pretty easy to get contact info there and I'll always respond to everybody as soon as I get a chance, whether I'm booked or not. So Brad, then, you know, I know this is Pete's podcast, but I'm curious to know from you, like, how would you rate the season? I'd say it's just a little bit above average. I did a podcast earlier today as well. Um, we talked about this some, but ultimately I think it's about how much time you put on the water. And all, what that means is if you've been out consistently, you're finding those bite windows. And I definitely say that there's some smaller windows throughout the day and even after dark. So if you're putting your time in, you're locating fish, you're just got to find the right time when they're going to eat. And if you're doing that, you're having success. And if you're just out there bouncing around, you know, one day here, three, four days later out there, uh, you might be struggling a little bit unless you're really lucky and just fall into those fish right away. Yeah. And I would add to that, that I think Brad, even though he's, you know, out in Western Minnesota and I'm in Northern Wisconsin, uh, he, I think he nailed it with what I've seen over here is the windows are small this year. And, and it's, it, it definitely, I mean, it's, it's windows of seeing nothing and then all of a sudden one comes unglued both side and then it's right back to, you know, just grinding it out. Okay. Well, one of the questions I'd written down was moon. Like how much of these windows have been related to the moon? Has it not been a big deal? Like what's the moon situation? And, and typically in a given season, how much emphasis do you put on the moon? Cause Brad, I think it's, is it Pete or um, is it Dick Pearson? He's the one I think that's not really a believer in the moon at all. Is that right? Or maybe he's coming into it a little bit, but he, he's never been a huge believer in the moon. Yeah. I, I know Pete, that we talked about this before with Dick and, and he basically never followed any of the moon stuff at all. And, you know, after visiting with him, I don't know, six, eight months after that fact, he kind of said, you know, I, I could see where there's maybe potentially some windows. One of the things that I, I think 15, 20 years ago, the moon was almost spot on. And I don't think it's quite as on as it once was, but there's no question about it. The moon does have some sort of a pull to, uh, to get fish to go. And I think we notice it as humans too, with phone calls. I know I've talked about that before you get one phone call, you're probably going to get three, right? You get text messages that comes in batches. Um, I think we're all living creatures are affected by it. But the one thing that I always think that you need to consider, and, and it's kind of, if you related this to maybe deer hunting, fishing, um, any kind of activities like with your, your pets at home, you'll notice it. But if they're scheduled and they have a schedule that they always do, I, I think the greatest example of this is deer hunters. If you think about rifle season for deer hunting, guys go out in the woods before, before light. And then what they do is they sit till 8.30, 9.30, and they all leave the woods, right? And I think those deer become accustomed to that. And all of a sudden at like 10, 10.30, guess what? Those deer are up and moving because they know nobody's in the woods again anymore. So fish, I think, can kind of identify some of that as well. And I think a lot of fishermen, they like to get out there at sun, sunrise and they they fish really, really hard, and then they pull off and go have lunch and spend some time with the family, and then boom, they get back out there at sunset. And so there's a whole time frame in there where fish aren't necessarily being disturbed, and I think you can sometimes find some of those windows when everybody pulls off the lake. You know, Brad, you mentioned like lots of text messages and phone calls. What does a guy like me do to find out about the moon? I have no friends. Nobody texts me or calls me. Like, I'm kind of. I don't believe that for a minute, Jeff. (laughs) I don't believe that for a minute. (laughs) You should. 
you should. Hey, by the way, Brad, Maybe. hold on, hold on one second. You mentioned a podcast. What podcast is it that you were on? So we can give them, we can give some help. And you know, our listeners love you. They're not here for me. They're here for you. You bring the knowledge. I've said this a million times. So well, Kate, Kate and I were invited to the Musky Road Rules podcast with Greg this morning. So. I'm not sure when that's airing, actually, but uh, I know it'll be here in the next couple days or so. Excellent. All right. But the one thing I need to mention is that you took a screenshot one time of your phone, and I noticed that you had like 382 unread text messages. So don't don't give me any crap <laughs> about not getting text. That was my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she likes me. She misses me. She wants to know when I'm stopping over to cut her grass, you know, things like that. <laughs> well, it must have been from a couple of years ago, then 382 of them. <laughs> I am terrible with text messages. Like I'll see the, um, I'll, I'll see it pop up on my phone and then, like, I'll just, like, briefly read whatever it says there. And then if it's, like, something, I'm like, I can get to that later. It'll just literally sit there. Or if that's the end of a conversation with somebody, that'll I, I won't go there and open it up. I used to be one of those guys that was, like, neurotic. I had to have all of it saying zero. That's not the case anymore. Like, that's, that's, <laughs> that's out the my, window. <laughs> that, that's my phone. Everything's at zero. Yeah. No, well, we, we would have had Pete on the uh, podcast a lot sooner, but uh, he didn't an- get answered by Jeff is what it what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know, really know why he hasn't, to tell you the truth. Like, it's just one of those things, you know. We have so many guests that want to get on, Brad. We're so popular that like, everybody wants us. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a waiting list for sure. I know it's been it's been a while. I, I chimed you up over the winter, and you're like, well, I'll squeeze you in next open slot, and here it is August. Yep, yep, yep. Very, <laughs> very popular podcast we are these days. <laughs> Uh, I hope nobody takes this seriously. All right. So, Pete, we didn't get you to weigh in on the moon then, I guess. I mean, we we maybe did or not. So your windows that you're finding uh, in your area, are those moon-related or are they just, you know? Well, you know, I mean, obviously open? obviously, you can't see me because I'm on the phone. But while Brad's talking, you know, I'm, I'm nodding half the time. Like, and especially, I think he hit something there with, it does seem like, you know, a handful of years ago and, you know, a, a decade ago, like, the, those moon windows were like holy cow we got to be out and i have i hadn't thought about it but i've definitely seen a shift i mean i can think of you know i mean for me personally new moon comes full moon comes it feels like every two weeks i'm like all right i'm i'm staying out late tonight we're gonna bust up some full moon fish or whatever it might be and it's been okay you know the the fish that we've been getting lately have had zero zero like uh have not coincided with the moon whatsoever um and that doesn't mean that the moon isn't anything you know for me personally i feel like the time frame tends to be a little more important than the actual specific window and what i mean by that is like you know that week of the new moon that week of the full moon and and i don't know if we necessarily catch more fish during it but it does feel like the big fish feel a little more frisky in those you know, three, four, five, six days around those moons. I also, you know, if we have a major, we're not going to take lunch. If we've got a moon rise or a moon set, we're not going to pack up the boat and head in. You know, I want to do what I can to be out for those windows. Um, And I've obviously had some really good success in those windows, but it's not the only time to be out fishing. And, you know, like Brad was saying earlier with the deer hunting and guys are heading off, you know, and heading out of the woods at 
nine in the morning, all of a sudden things get good. And we get some, some really good bites that have nothing to do with a moonrise or set or whatever it might be, but we still are getting bigger fish in those time periods of like day, the days and a couple days before and after those new and full moons. I could add one last thing to it. And that's uh, something that Chase Gibson had told me probably two years ago. And the more I think about it, the more I think he might be onto something. One of the things that he's talked about, and I think he's even talked about it on this podcast is I think guys like, Oh, here comes the moon. You know, we're going to have a minor. We need to fish hard. Well, I think if you fish just as hard throughout those dry periods, you're probably going to do just as well. But I, I do think that as anglers, we, we watch those moon hours and we probably fish a little bit harder at those times of the day. Absolutely agree. And I mean, hey, Brad, have you seen, you know, that over there where, where I have here, like maybe those, those periods around the, the new and the full moon, it does seem like the bigger fish are just a, a little more willing to bite something fake that's not real or. Absolutely. Pete. I, I think one of the things, you know, and, and I've been talking about this when we've been fishing and what have you, but if you look back and I look back at the history of all the years that I've fished and the, and the times when I've caught these giant fish that, you know, everybody's trying to get a 50, right. There's no, no, um, doubting that they weren't around some type of moon phase. Right. I mean, even back when we were doing the videos, I used to plan my video shoots around those moons. Maybe it was three days before full moon. Maybe it was three days after, but, you're right about that, but I still think, I mean, if you look at a monthly type cycle, it's very strange, but I feel like those big giant fish, they either are laying on the bottom or they're out in the open water and they come up and collide into structure three to five days a month. That, that's kind of the cycle that I see. And if you're not on the water during that three to five day cycle, you're probably just going to catch average fish. And <laughs> Fortunately for us, Pete, I mean, I don't guide like I once did, but when I was guiding every stinking day, the full six months of the season, you would find those days and you could almost kind of redo those same three to five days the following month based off of 30 days later. So, but there's no question about it. Moon phase definitely does show like some of the bigger fish during that time frame. All right, Pete, let's move on to uh, a different topic, unless you guys have anything else you want to cover about the moon. Anyone? Bueller. All right. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so that means, Pete, I'll, I'll, I think maybe you could, you could disagree or not with this, but I would say your success that you had trolling specifically larger baits, matlocks, headlocks up in northern Wisconsin is kind of what put you on the map. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, you know, all of a sudden doing something that was like, you know, people were kind of like, wow, that dude's like, you know, that, that dude's on it all of a sudden. Correct. And, you know, obviously we were, you know, get, we were getting nice fish prior to that, but it was when trolling opened up here, it, it absolutely unlocked the, uh, a big chunk of fish that just really weren't very targetable to be honest with you. You know, like I spend a lot, a lot of time on the chip off loads. You could never troll there prior to what has it been now? Probably eight years. And so, you know, you'd get to the dog, you know, not the dog days of summer, but you'd get to summer when the, the warm water is kind of, or warmer water is pushing those fish off the shallow structure. 
and nobody was catching anything. And all of a sudden, you know, we're pounding, you know, a bunch of mid upper forties, even, you know, handle a couple fifties here and there over here. So no, it, it definitely was a, a big boost to my catch rates and times a year that people just weren't catching fish like that very consistently over here. Okay. Now, is that something that you still employ on a, a weekly basis, monthly basis? Yes and no. So I'm not trolling as much as I was before. Part of that is because my kicker broke last November and then I didn't think about it again until I went to fire it up about three weeks ago <laughs> when the water was warm. I'm like, oh, I better start trolling. And I was like, oh yeah, it's broken. So uh, I've been kickerless. Uh, we've been doing some trolling. We've got a couple fish trolling. Uh, you know, more than anything, I think what trolling really did for me was give me confidence and a better understanding of how fish suspend adjacent to structure, off a structure, how they use open water. Because, you know, when you're trolling, yeah, a big part of it's just driving around and, you know, talking nonsense. But you're also focused on your graph way more than I am casting because I don't have anything else to kind of keep my eyes. So you're really understanding how bait muskies all relate to structure and off structure. Um, and then what that has done has given me a ton more confidence in casting those areas. You know, the great part about trolling is you can put lures in front of so many more fish. The tough part is they don't trigger fish the same way as ripping dogs or slow rolling blades or, you know, ripping crankbaits off of deep edges do. You just don't have the triggering qualities in trolling. So I think it kind of equals itself out. You're not contacting as many fish casting, but they're easier to trigger and, over the last couple of years, we're still definitely doing trolling. We're still doing it. We're still having success, but I'm also having more success, you know, fishing those areas that, you know, the, we caught a really nice fish a couple of days ago and I was the only person on the lake that was going to catch that fish from where we were casting kind of thing. So many times, Pete, you know, we hear that. I, I think keys might've just did a little deal on Instagram or Facebook or something about, Troll versus cast, right? Who would troll? Who would cast? Blah, blah, blah. And honestly, I mean, it's amazing to me how many people say cast, cast, cast. Nobody wants to troll, right? Well, I might troll while I'm eating a sandwich at noon. But you kind of hit it on the head. I mean, trolling definitely has its place in this sport. And you said it as well. You know, you're going to learn something by trolling if you pay attention and put your time in. And I definitely think you kind of hit it on the head with the uh, getting fish to actually react to something, you know, a steady bait that's just going, do, 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 you know, a crankbait wobbling along. It's not going to necessarily strike, get that fish to strike, but you're learning what you got to go do after the fact. And, and now you sounds like you've tied that whole thing together with getting out there and actually ripping some baits over top of these fish. And it, it's definitely going to make a big difference. It's a huge difference. And there's also, you know, a, something the other day that, that led us into uh, an incredibly fat 48 on one of our lakes over here on a lake that doesn't put out many fish that big was we were casting shallow water was like 72, 73. So water was prime, but there was nothing reacting. So I'm like, all right, well, let's go troll. Let's see what the bait fish are doing because we went from 81 degree water to 72 in a, in a matter of just a couple weeks. And it was like, let's see how suspended the bait are. So we trolled for about two hours and it looked like 
garbage out there. And it's like, all right, well, now I can eliminate that. Let's go back up in the weeds, knowing the bait's tight to the weed edges, knowing we're just not marking stuff out in the basin. So the fish have to be there. And it's really just either eliminating water or adding options. And it really is just about paying attention. And then we end up sticking a, a pig on a swim bait up in the weeds. I got to ask you, Pete, I mean, one thing that I've done quite a bit over the last three to five years is a lot of times before I even start fishing, I'm going to cruise around and it might be on the edge of a, a structure. It might be out in the main basin, but I'm going to cruise around with the boat and just watch my electronics before I even start fishing, primarily because of what you just said there, looking for that bait. What's the bait actually doing? Is it slid out off the brake or is it up packed in tight, you know? So... I might spend 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it might be, just kind of cruising around and you can hit some of your favorite spots and do that and get a pretty good idea of where you should be fishing right away. A hundred percent. There's one lake that I launch on where you come out of this little bay and then it just drops into the basin. And I can tell what type of day we're going to have because there's always bait fish on this edge in this basin. Some days I pull out of there and it's 15 feet down and it's like, Ooh, this might be a rough day unless we fish deep. There's other days you pull out of it and they're in the exact same location, but they're eight feet down. And it's like, okay, this is going to be one of those days where we're going to be able to pop fish pretty easily up on edges and weeds and tight to breaks. And it, it really is sometimes, I don't want to say that simple, but it kind of is. And, and just the bait fish will lead you to what the muskies are doing. Because I mean, what? two weeks out of the year they care about something else other than eating so you know it's it's literally you know your electronics are so important to, to putting those pieces of the puzzle together just to get your day started yeah absolutely and i think another key point to this whole thing is is it can allow you to not have to try to cover spot to spot maybe you have your mouth run and you're running from this end of the lake to the other end of the lake if you just break down some of that structure you know, maybe one chunk of the lake, say a quarter of the lake, and you're able to dig that apart. Now you know where to go for the next spot instead of, yeah, I'm going to fish break lines today. Well, you might be screwing up by just saying that. You might have to go shallow and start digging around in the weeds as well. And once you kind of find out where those fish are and that they want to cooperate, guess what? You can go to some of those other spots and, and succeed as well. Yeah, and that, that actually was exactly how today went for us. Like we, you know, we got up super early because, you know, and it was going to be glass calm, bluebird skies. Like we literally didn't have a breath of wind. So it's like, you know, t today, even though the major's in the middle of the day, that's not, uh, <laughs> that's not the window. These are rough conditions. So we hit the water at about 530 this morning. And first spot, guy had a fish following on a swim bait, but I, I was kind of, where that fish followed in from it wasn't up on the flat we were about to fish it was a little point extension that runs off and it's like well i don't want to skip these little tips that come off these bars because i mean anybody who's trolled knows points hold fish doesn't matter how deep they are points hold fish whether it's a rock point sticking off a weed bed or a sand point just running out into the basin points hold fish so i always if there's something you know so if there's, you know, these little extensions, I'm always going to hit him. So we start out on this little extension. He has a follow right away, but water was 75 this morning, which I was actually shocked about because it's been in the, you know, low fifties, high forties, the last three nights here. And I was cooler actually on other lakes, but so we're hitting the weeds, hitting the weeds, hitting the weeds, nothing. And it's like, all right, well, 
let's go throw rubber out over these rock extensions. And the first spot we hit, we had a fish come unglued in figure eight and didn't get him stuck, but it was, you know, like third cast on the spot. And we end up getting, you know, head hunted on rubber by two other fish doing something that I've done before, but not something that I've, I've trolled it more than I've casted it. But because of the success I've had on those types of structure I've had, I had all the confidence in the world going and tossing rubber over, you know, boats in 30 feet and I'm thrown into a 15 foot rock point. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. If you, you know, you put the fortitude into thinking about what you've seen throughout the past couple of days, and then you allow the bait fish as well as the fish tell you what to do. And it definitely becomes way easier. And I think we as fishermen, we like to complicate things. And, and the other component to this whole thing is today's technology. I mean, if you look at what SideView does, I mean, it's incredible. So you, you're empowered to be able to do some of the things that we're talking about quite simply for uh, minimal cost, really, if you think about it. I don't know that many anglers out there that doesn't, don't have side imaging or maybe they've got some sort of a live and, and those tools can help you get there. You know, we side imaged one on rocks once we started kind of casting. Like, you know, the guys in the boat are like, oh, you side imaged one? I'm like, guys, we've already cast through that fish a bunch. Like, go ahead and flip back there. You know, I, I can count on less than my 10 fingers how many times it's been like, oh, there's a fish we just fished through. We side imaged and make sure you cast back that way. Usually you fish through those fish and they're just not active. However, it's another piece of the puzzle knowing, all right, well, there are muskies suspended where these rocks are meeting the soft bottom basin. And even though we're not getting that following interaction, we're on the fish. And it's just a matter of then, you know, grinding them out and putting your time on the water and, and staying and duplicating that pattern to, to eventually get those fish to go. And that's when, you know, I find it important to be mixing up what you're throwing. I know one, one of the best things about being a guide is typically I have three lures going and almost never are we throwing three of the same. You know, like today we were throwing some blades that run real deep and then we had a bulldog and a medusa going and even though a bulldog and a medusa are both rubber in my opinion they're completely different baits you can i feel like you can get on a dog much harder than you can a medusa but the medusa is going to push more water have a bigger profile and it's more of a hang lure or you know the, the dogs you can get to hop and stop so we're giving them multiple presentations all the time and i think a lot of guys you see them out and it's just two buddies out fishing together and they're both throwing the same bait. Maybe they just switched color, which color can be a difference, but more of the size, the action, the speed is going to be the bigger difference within that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, most guides would say that they're, they're experimenting and having their fishermen using the baits that have actually worked previously in the previous days or whatever. But uh, I would agree with you too. I mean, not all rubber is created equal, right? I mean, you, you could mix in red October tubes with that. Yeah, you could absolutely. mix in um, some bondies of some sort, and, and it doesn't matter. I mean, you can cast them, and you can rip them. You can uh, straight retrieve them. There's, there's so many different tools that we have today that we didn't have, say, 18, 20 years ago. So it's quite remarkable, and, and each one of them does have a little different actions that uh, you let the fish decide which ones they want. Yep, absolutely. So, Brad, it's a good call you had on the different types of rubber baits, you know, the, when you brought in the tubes. Typically, a lot of people, 
they they think bulldogs and medusas. Yep. Although and the and the tubes are gaining immensely in popularity, but I think a lot of people are still leaning towards those too. When a tube is absolutely a a great rubber presentation as well. And that's the great part about tubes. You know, you bring those up is, yeah, you know, it's another rubber bait that you 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 know you rip and pause just like a medusa and a bulldog. But you can you can really if you get a tube working right, you can get those things walking side to side in a way you just can't do with a, you know, a Medusa or a Bulldog or some of those other rubber baits. They're, they're a great mix up for, you know, a deep rubber bite. All right. Well, we've done enough talking about rubber. Let's talk about blades for a little bit. We can't talk summer muskies without talking about blades. Have you been seeing many fish on blades? I, is that a presentation that you use often? Cause like, I know whenever I pay attention when I'm on the water, Somebody in a musky boat that I see is always throwing some type of blades, which is not always my first choice when it comes to presentations, mostly because I suck at throwing mus- uh, throwing blades. Like, I didn't think that you could suck, but apparently I do. <laughs> and I am just curious, like, is that something that you're going to try every single day during these summer months? Uh, every single day during almost every month. You know, and that's, you know, kind of exactly like what we were just talking about is having those guys in the boat mixing things up. You know, when you got two guys ripping rubber, it doesn't do much good to have a third guy doing that same thing. And that's where, you know, that's straight, you know, if I'm shallow, it might be burning them. If it's deep, we might be slow rolling them, really letting them grind down, uh, mixing up the sizes, the weights to get different profiles and depths. Um, but no, I, I don't have somebody throwing a blade all the time but i would say 90 percent of the time if i've got three people in the boat there's some sort of blade being thrown and, and kind of lately it's it seemed like the the supermodels with a little weight on them to get down on those deep rocks have been getting fish to to show up on them um definitely seeing more fish than than they're biting on that deep structure but we've caught more fish up shallow this year on blades than any other lure. This has been my worst topwater season I have ever seen. And I, to where it's, it's at the point where like, I'm the one getting to throw topwaters because they're just not doing anything on them right now or earlier this year. Let me talk about blades for a, sec- a second. I know when I fish with Steve Jensen, he likes to put a trailer on everything, rubber tails on, on your blades all the time. Is that something that you add to adding it you know, additional attractants, I guess I would say to your bladed baits. It's something I don't do, but Steve's special. Like he's, he's on a whole nother level than all of us. Like Steve's, uh, Steve, Steve's definitely a little bit of goofball and I can see him putting tails on everything. Special is a good (laughs) word to describe him. (laughs) I think the key to this though, Jeff, is I think you lack confidence in blades. So, Maybe that tail on the back end of Steve's bait gives him more confidence too. And I think when you fish confidently and you're comfortable with what you're fishing, you're going to succeed. So that's something that you definitely, I mean, if you're not feeling it and it doesn't feel right to you, quit throwing it, pick up something different. Absolutely. Uh, We literally had this conversation in the boat today and that's, I would rather somebody be throwing the wrong lure in my opinion with confidence than fishing the right lure without it. I mean, it's just like, anything in life it doesn't matter if you're golfing fishing hitting on chicks like if you're confident you're going to be successful and you know and that's and that absolutely goes with lure selection 
the weird part about confidence, Brad, is like, especially when it comes to me and bladed baits, is like I caught muskies on bladed baits early on in my muskie career. So at some point I lost the mojo or I just, I don't know, whatever. Like I said, maybe I'm just not that great at throwing them. And I just don't catch that many muskies on them. And conversely, maybe because of the confidence, I also am apt to get rid of them out of my presentation far sooner than I should. But now keep in mind, I fish solo fairly frequently, much like we talked about with my, my, uh, you know, phone call conversations earlier. I have very few friends, so I fish solo often and I, I can't do two presentations. Like if one of my kids is with me, then they will in, inevitably be throwing blades or, or some straight bait to try to cover that, that, that section, you know, like that, that part of the water, that, that presentation. Because you make them or because they're confident in them? No, I make them. Like, <laughs> well, so how did I know well, that answer? Well, I mean, I figured <laughs> they can't be worse than me throwing them, so <laughs> therefore they might actually catch a fish on one, right? So oh, I love your of, honesty. I love your honesty, <laughs> That That brings up a question I actually have for Brad because it's something I see in the boat and – you know, for a real long time, it was all about tens and it didn't matter if you were over here, over there, like fish were destroying tens, a ton of fish got caught on them. Then all of a sudden, you know, whether it was the drag of you know, the tens kind of wearing guys out when the, the junior size lures started kind of making the thing. And then, you know, juniors were just getting destroyed. Uh, for me personally, this year, it's been more like the double eights and eight nine combo you know that type of stuff for me this year has been way more effective than the big blades up shallow out deep i'm always going to lean on the side of big because i feel like you need to push water you need to make a bigger strike zone for the fish to to pick that bait up in that deeper water but up shallow it seems like there's almost been like this downsize tick to get more fish active and maybe because people aren't throwing as many tens or maybe they are just not in my boat maybe you know, switching back to that lure that was hot in the early 2000s, 2010s is, I mean, with how many you're making, have you seen shifts in what's selling at times? Well, hold on a second. Before Brad answers this, I want to answer the question for Brad. <laughs> so we've only done, I don't know, 200 and some odd of these podcasts. And Brad's going to tell you that you should stop being a sissy and you should keep throwing double tens because the fish that you were fishing for 10 years ago haven't seen double tens today. They're not conditioned to double tens and they'll still eat double tens today. Right, Brad? Is it going to go something similar to that? I, I don't even have to talk anymore. This is perfect. <laughs> See? It's like I know exactly what he's going to say. <laughs> well, it's remarkable because I never quit. Right. And I still catch just as many fish on tens that I, that I always have. And I, you know, I hear it from people, all oh, their condition, their conditions. There's no question that I think some of these fish can get conditioned to a certain point, but it's all about how you fish things. And it's all about the confidence that you have, like we just talked about. Yep. And for whatever reason, I mean, the, the double pen, the double cowgirl is still my go-to bait when I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm not doing anything with blades. I will go back to a 10 and I'll slow roll it. And it's amazing. I just got a text here uh, two days ago from a guy that I know in Northern Wisconsin. And guess what? He's like, I'm doing exactly what you said. 
I'm slow rolling and I just got a nice fish in the bag and I'm like, good deal, man. That's awesome. Now I think some of the key points to slow rolling the tens is one of them is, is you need to get lower in the water so that you can get to, to some of those fish that are buried potentially in the weeds or off the structure. Going slow is going to get that bait just a little bit deeper. And, and that's a key point. But I, I would say that when fish are truly, truly active, there's no speed that you could go that would not get it eaten, right? So the slow thing is part of that presentation. And I've said it a hundred times and Jeff answered the whole question for me. But <laughs> does the fat man run to the fridge to eat or does he walk? And I think slow a lot of times will get you a bigger fish, a big old fat floppy fish. You've I'm never so seen me run to the fridge, Brad. I have burned <laughs> it to the fridge many times. Like, I mean, I get off the couch and like sprint. <laughs> well, it's because you're not fat. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> you know, Pete, uh, you know, Pete, I, to, to, uh, I guess we'll shamelessly promote a detonator. Like if you're looking for a bait that is large profile and different than what most people are throwing out there, throw the detonator. I can honestly say the last decent blade bite I had was the first year that the detonator came out. I was catching fish and moving fish on the detonator when I wasn't catching them and moving them on small. So, and if you know, and you know, if I can move and catch fish on a detonator, that thing must be special. <laughs> Well, well, it sounds like you found your confidence blades, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, I did for as confident as I am in blades. I, I hate to say this to you, Brad. Like that's that's your that's your deal, and it's a confidence bait for tons of musky anglers, but it's just not for me. It'd be like we'll use this, you, you, know, you brought it up recently, Brad. The swimming dog. The swimming dog isn't probably a confidence bait for you, right? It's not a confidence bait at all. But I will tell you this: if I'm struggling and I can't see fish. I'll put on a swimming dog and I'll at least know where they are and what they're doing. They're just being lazy. So it's one of those baits, you know, you hear that a lot of times with phantoms, right? Well, I can't move a fish on anything else. So I start throwing a phantom. Well, that's the swimming dog. In my opinion, I, I will at <laughs> least find out where the fish are. The swimming dog is one of my go-tos when you get those clients in the boat that like the blades aren't spinning when they come in or they're killing it in the figure eight. And it's like, you know what? why don't you throw this? <laughs> and then it's, yep. but then it's amazing. It's, then it's amazing how it almost seems like I have more clients who are successful that I, I would say, I don't want to say don't know how to fish, but let's say have very little experience fishing. They seem to be much more successful with a swimming dog than a guy who's a really kind of seasoned angler. I almost, I think it is that slow wobble that drives some of us just nuts that, that does make those baits trigger more fish than the, you know, than that little quicker retrieve. I mean, you can't go too fast they roll over and it's not, uh, not the best looking thing, but, but we've been, we've been having a lot of first time anglers, you know, catching fish on, on swimming dogs this year. That's a good way to put it, Pete. I, I, you know, if I'm really tired one day, maybe I'll try it where I just barely roll it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny. It, it's amazing how many fish you can locate with it, though. I mean, it truly it, blows yeah. my mind. I just don't feel like it's a real good triggering bait. That's that's my problem with it. I, I don't. I agree. I don't think it's the greatest trigger either. Which is strange, though. I literally just got an email tonight about a guy wanting to know when we're going to restock on a certain swimming bait color, and that's because he said he was, you know, fishing over the past week and he got all of his swimming dogs chewed up. So. I mean, obviously they catch muskies. I fished with Jeff Hansen. We talked to him last week and he crushes it on swimming dogs. 
Yeah, and, and you know, like like I think me and Brad were saying, you know, they have their place, they have their time. We've been throwing a lot more of them this year than, than we have in the past, and they've been kicking out some nice fish and, and showing a lot. And, and so it's, it's just another, it really is just another tool. Like I, if it's a real fishy looking day, like to be honest with you, like if we've got some overcast and some wind, I'm probably not sticking a swimming dog on with the conditions like we had today, it's coming out right away because it does have a much more natural kind of waddly, you know, it just, it has that swim to it. Hence the name, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but so not just a clever name. No, it, it fits. But they do have that little more natural, subtle presentation when, you know, fish might be in a neutral, neutral pattern to maybe even negative to at least show themselves or to get that kind of reluctant bite. That all makes sense. Definitely. Let's, uh, let me ask you about this then, Pete. How about a shallow invader? Are you a fan of that? We don't throw many shallow invaders. I don't know why it's kind of made its way out of my rotation. We used to throw them a ton and caught fish on them. And for whatever reason, they just don't make it into the water a lot for me anymore. And I, I really don't have a good answer for why, because I've had success with them. I think it's interesting. I definitely would throw that over the swimming dog any day. But the one thing that I thought was interesting was you mentioned the supermodel. And it's amazing to me how many years I've heard from people over in your neck of the woods on, I never use a supermodel at all. And I can honestly tell you when it first came out, Tanner Wilds, when he was still guiding over in the Hayward area, he was crushing fish on it. And everybody was like, oh, no, it's way too big for our water over here. And I, in the last couple of years, I've heard a bunch of different people from Wisconsin say, that is my go-to bait. And it's kind of wild to think about. You can throw that it's too big like thing. I've heard that a ton. And that's why I kind of chuckled when he said it. But like my daughter just caught a two-footer troll on a 14-inch jake. Like there's... You know, I've caught more muskies over here on 14-inch jakes than 10-inch jakes. Like, it is, to, to think a supermodel's too big is you're just taking fish out of your hands, to be honest with you. If people are using that as an excuse not to throw them, and to be honest, and with, you know, it's not like we're throwing, it's not like we're reeling them in on, like, Calcutta bees or the, the old uh, St. Croix reels anymore. Like, I mean, with all the equipment we have available to us, you get the right reel paired with the right rod. And you can bring in anything and it really shouldn't be something that guys take out of their lineup because they are extremely effective. You got my vote. I mean, not, not because I make it either. It's just an incredible <laughs> bait and it's got so many big fish, you know, and it definitely gets the job done. You know, Pete, one last topic before we, we get you out of here is single blades versus double blades. How much time do you spend with either or? Once we kind of get out of that what i would call the the late spring period uh, the single blades really don't make it in in the water very much for me i'm you know as i'm throwing bigger stuff and trolling bigger stuff i'm also you know throwing bigger blades you know i kind of i'll be i'll be you know honest with it i have kind of glossed over the tens lately and it's been more either the juniors or the supermodels and I kind of, uh, I think Brad's reinvigorated me into uh, getting some tens back out because I've caught a ton of fish on them. And it's just one of those things you kind of get in your, whether it's a milk run on a lake and the spots you like to fish or the lures that you're just chucking, you kind of sometimes have this similar rotation going. No, I'm, it's, you know, so for me, it, it's, it's big stuff and, and I, I don't throw a ton of singles. 
I'm telling you, get out the detonator, Pete. If I can catch them, you can catch them. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> I better I better place my TRO order tonight, and what I'll have it by Wednesday afternoon. Let's see, place it, place it tonight. I'll get it to you tomorrow afternoon. Wait, no, we're not that good. But we we can get it to you on Wednesday. But anyways, yes, check out the detonator. Like I said, if I can if I can catch them, anybody can catch them. So you should definitely have one in your arsenal. And surprisingly, it doesn't pull very hard. I don't feel. And I'm not, and I'm not a very tough guy. Like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. You're right. I'm, I'm old, and I'm not the kid I once was throwing, you know, pounders all the time. Oh, well, if you're old, then I'm aging. Oh no, Brad, you're young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeff's got like six kids, so you get to add like twenty years <laughs> to his actual age. That's what, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> You guys over there with your one kid, like you even know what's going on over there. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on. I'll be honest. That sounds that sounds overwhelming. That sounds like a guy who doesn't get to fish much. It's true, but it's not always the kid's fault. No. <laughs> All right, Pete. Before we let you go, one tip to help people put more muskies in the net this weekend: what it's going to be. Uh, I would kind of push the the limits on those little. Uh, for me, it's been rock extensions that are coming off of you know the. The structure or near structure that guys are typically comfortable fishing don't be afraid to, to push yourself a little out of the comfort zone and and start pushing out to you know those rock tips uh rocks have been really hot for me over the last week and it doesn't seem like we can throw anything too big to to even you know to even contact 40 inch fish it's not like you know throwing a a pounder or a mag dog is gonna ruin your chances of just catching fish i mean we get uh, we get fishes of all sizes on on big rubber, and that's uh, that's what I would really start pushing towards with this. Uh, you know, this heat kind of settling back in up here. You know, kind of be be conscious of when you're fishing, but you know those those fish are finding a nice comfort zone on these little tips that are sticking out off of these bars and shorelines and, and deep humps. All right, Pete. Well, if people are looking to get in touch with you this summer, how can they go about doing that again? PeteRichGuide.com or find me on Facebook at Pete Rich Guide Service. Short and sweet. All right. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. And I hope that you have yourself a fantastic summer and fall season. Hopefully it is not whatever, 120 episodes before we speak again. So I want to thank you for, for taking time out of your schedule, Pete. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. I always enjoy it, and it was nice uh, catching up and talking a little fishing. And for our listeners, we want to thank you all for putting up with us for another episode, and we'll go back, be back with a new one next week Wednesday.